Sack, did um did you do the track this week? You know what? I did come up with something and uh wait. It's on my other laptop. Oh, your other other laptop. Yeah, my laptop. But I have I have my 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 streaming podcasting laptop because my right. old one my old one has all my uh uh, logic instruments and stuff on it. And mm-hmm. that's down in the garage because mm-hmm. that, that's my work laptop. So right. I did, but I, you know, we've already started now, so I can't go downstairs. Anymore. Well, that's no, that makes sense. I have a, I have a laptop for every room in the house. Um, <laughs> so I have, I've bought the same MacBook pro, but I leave it, I leave one in every room because I feel like it's a, you know, kind of a, a good workflow thing to have. So there's one in the bathroom, there's one in the laundry room, one in the kitchen, uh, one in right. here, which I'm on right now, one in the bedroom. So, and they all have different stuff on them. <laughs> Man, you know what? Uh, real talk, I bought this new laptop and I thought, fresh start. I'm not going to back up from a, a, a <clears throat> time machine. I'm just going to start new. And now every time I need anything, it's like, <laughs> shit, it's on the other one. Damn, it's on the other laptop. <laughs> uh, but I did see they're, they're with a, Total tangent, but they're they're releasing a new MacBook and they're getting rid of this stupid touchscreen and they're God. going back to the MagSafe Thank charger. God. It's like why? Okay, anyway, let me, let me tell you. Okay, as an Apple user, I'm totally bought into the whole Apple ecosystem here. Okay, yep, right. I get it. Call me fanboy, whatever. All you Android or Windows users want to call me, it doesn't matter. I get why people hate Apple. A few years ago, when I was shopping for that computer for my iMac back there, I went to the Apple store near me. And this is when the new-ish, the new Mac Pro was coming out, right? They were going from the trash can to the tower, which is... (laughs) Trash can. If you remember, pre-trash can Mac Pro was like the G5 tower, which were great. A lot of studios still have them around. They still use them because they're modular. It's like a normal sort of PC. And they went to the trash can which was stupid and you couldn't replace anything. You could mod anything. And so then for the new Mac pro, they went back to the modular tower system. This is the ethos of Apple right here. I was talking to a Mac, uh, a guy at the Apple store, the employee there. I was like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. I hear that, you know, the new Mac pro is coming out and you guys are going back to the kind of modular setup. He's like, Oh no, we're, we're going forward uh, to modular. <laughs> <laughs> Dead face was totally serious. He looked me in the eyes like, yeah, we're going forward. So, uh, Apple, we never regress. We never go back. We always move forward. He's getting like, paid to say that. So, Oh, my God. <laughs> you've been, you've been, uh, you've drank the Kool-Aid, my friend. You got got. You got got. So, yes, I'm happy to see that they're going back to MagSafe, which worked well. And they're get, we're getting rid of the touch bar, which is stupid. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, <clears throat> I don't like it. But anyway, dipped in tone, episode... 21 we're now 21. a tech, tech podcast is, is that what why because we're talking about computers now oh exclusively <laughs> i thought it was like something to do with 21 you know no. we can we're old <laughs> enough to drink i don't know oh chat chat is on point today um welcome everyone episode 21 dipped in tone you guys are great uh we hit 4,000 subs on youtube that's amazing thank you we guys did. for that um, as always, if you want to join in the fun while we are taping live you can uh, join our patreon link down below um, two dollars a month. I think we're gonna add another tier pretty soon. Yeah, we'll level up. Yeah. Well, we'll we'll keep a level and we'll add another level. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll do keep... exactly what Rhett said. Yeah, we're gonna everything's gonna stay the same. We're just gonna add another tier. We don't know what that's gonna be yet. Um, 
But yeah, if you join, you can uh, join in our Discord server while we are recording live. These these fine people are hanging out with us while we're taping. Um, and we also have merch now too, which is great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if you have any of any ideas about what the next tier should be, throw them at us. We'll see. You know, uh, I, I suggested we give out Rhett's cell phone numbers. So you guys can call him and ask him tech questions, like, right. or or gear questions, or whatever. Sure. And I still might do that. Sure. No, that's great. That's exactly what I want. The phone number I've had for 15 years, I still have my original cell phone number. I've never had to change it. So, I I change mine, but my dad has had the same cell phone number forever, and he I, I don't he had like a bag phone in his car. Remember those? Oh, yeah. Before yeah. cell phones. So I don't know. That was probably a different number, but uh, I imagine that was not his cell phone number. Yeah. But yeah, God, what a time! Bag phones, dude. My my dad had because he's always worked for the phone company. He uh, started his career at AT and T in the eighties, and then when it split apart and became like Bell South and Pac Bell and everything, he worked for Bell South. And so as a kid, his job was like always being on the phone. So he had a car phone. He had a a green ninety three Ford Explorer with a car phone and it thing was rad. Yep. And I remember just sitting back there listening to the, and being on these bridges and stuff, telling people <laughs> I, what to do. I don't know why my dad had, he had every mobile phone, like he had a bag phone and then he had the first like big box Motorola phone and all that stuff. I, he must've been selling drugs or something. I don't know. <laughs> like, why did he need that? Why did he need it? Papa Broyles slinging Christmas <laughs> no, that's- lights and, <laughs> that's not true. He he was an insur he's a he was an insurance agent for like ever. And so he used it, you know, when he'd go slinging insurance. Know, claims and stuff. But uh how was how was your week? God. Um, you know, just fine. It's been fine. <laughs> um it, I'm in the middle of rebuilding my website right now, which is a it's a damn nightmare. I just I hate it so much. Yeah. Um so yeah doing it all ourselves we're we're changing our email platform and all that kind of stuff and building the website and god it sucks i hate it so much yeah i uh you can thank me for that because i'm the one that said you should do it yourself yeah man (laughs) it's not hard (laughs) today's episode brought to you by squarespace they make it easy to build an online platform no i'm just kidding we're not actually sponsored by squarespace but i do use squarespace Uh, and me too hey i got i got suckered into like oh man it's so easy you just use their templates and it's it's fun and then 12 hours of work later it's like the most tedious stuff ever i don't mind it i i've done it for years so yeah but that's been my week web development what about you uh i finally with the delay um john Snyder, my designer, he he got me all the the code so I can start programming them because even though it's an analog delay, it has like a microcontroller for the tap tempo and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I have like this USB stick and this big long cord with like this crazy like pinout thing that you like push on the board and it uh, you have to like you have to like hold it on the board and with your other hand you have to like get into terminal and like push enter and like type lines of code, um, but the delay is hopefully next week when this goes up, I will have the first enclosures and I can start teasing what it's going to look like. And that's been huge, but now I'm slightly panicked as well because I have to, I bought enough chips to make a pretty sizable first batch, but I'm realizing that that's probably going to sell soon. And for those that don't know, 
you know, when you buy components overseas, because all the all those chips and stuff you have to import, right? Uh, unless you buy them like locally and they're like five, ten times the price, you know. So uh, I got to do that because uh, there's like a New Year holiday that happens overseas, like mm-hmm. in China. And they just shut it down. And like, if you don't get your order in, it's just like, well, there goes like two or three weeks. You just got to wait. So, man, there it is. That's it. That's it. Cool. Well, this was episode 21, everyone. That was. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't wasn't that that interesting? Wasn't that great? We just complained about our work week. Well, I mean, it's like, I've been really struggling with all of my, um, just like, my planning ahead. Mm. Like I, I don't know about you, but I work, like I work, 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 work. And I don't often pay attention to, to like inventory and things that are happening around me. And then when I get to the end of a, you know, a task, then I look and I'm like, Oh man, I should have got this yep. ordered like two weeks ago. And I should have had this lined up coming or, or prepped all this. And so that's been like just nagging at me. Uh, like being like Zach, you got to order enclosures, you got to order circuit boards, you got to order boxes, you got to order the little bags you put your stuff in. And it's just like I- I've been kind of freaking out, just trying to keep everything straight in my head because it's crazy. Like I'll literally come in the house from my garage and to, and, and to do something on my nice computer, and by the time I get to my computer, I forgot what I came inside to do. <laughs> Dude, that's my life, man. Um. I have ADD and you know, that's not like an anecdotal thing. Mm-hmm. Legitimately have it. And so it's a struggle for me. Um, recently started taking medication again and whatever. I'll talk about this on the podcast. It's normal. It's fine. And because it, it's, it got to the point for me where I physically like the workload, I work every day. I don't take any days off and the workload was growing, growing, growing as I take on these new projects and like want to get new stuff done, you know, it's not just, oh, I make a video a week whenever I feel like it and put it up on YouTube. It's, yeah. you know, two podcasts, the YouTube channel, you know, the online business stuff and, and trying to come up with ideas and do stuff long term. And, you know, it's all this stuff. And I got to the point where I was like, I physically would work all day, all day and get nothing accomplished because I was so just scatterbrained and all over the place. And it was like becoming a problem. Right. And, uh, yeah, I haven't taken medication for this stuff since I was in middle school and went back to my doctor and, and it's helped like the past couple of weeks have, have been more like focused and everything. But even still, man, it's like, I just, I need help. I need to hire someone who can, you know, bring And the thing is Tilly's now going back to school for her semester and like starting her nursing program and stuff. So the help I had there is going to be less and it's yeah. Yeah. Oh, what a time to be alive, man. Right. And and I think sometimes people take our airing of grievances as complaining about being busy. And I don't, it's not really that. It's just like, this is what happens. Oh, yeah. And, and like, you know, I, I have thought about, you know, something like, you know, getting on medication. But for me, it's like my my medication is just taking a break. If I can do that, then I'm hitting the reset button. And even if it's just like a few hours. And then... Mm. I just, I'm so hesitant to do that because it's like, I always feel like I'm behind the eight ball. Like I got to get something yeah. done. Um, but it's crazy. Like if I take like a few hours and watch a movie like at night or play video games or just like, you know, sit around and talk with Morgan when she's, you know, not being 
terrorized by the child. It's like, <laughs> you know, we like my brain is better. So I just have to do that. I, I don't. Well, yeah. I mean, look, this is, this is not complaining. It, this is, right. I, I love what I do and I'm so lucky to be able to do this for a living. I, it is not lost on me that my career is a, uh, it is a walk in the park compared to the vast majority of people out there who are even watching and listening to the show. Like, trust me, right. I get it. Um, because I've done other jobs that are not a walk in the park and suck. But, um, yeah, like the break thing for me doesn't work because my issue is it takes so much energy, like physical and mental energy to get focused on one task. And once I'm in that task, I get in that groove and I can shut everything else out to the detriment of, of everything else. I cannot multitask. I'm incapable of that. And then if something breaks my focus, like even if Tilly comes in to like talk to me about something or I get an email or I decide to take a break, once I'm out of that groove, I'm out of the groove for the day right. and I can't get back to the thing. So sure. Yeah. I, I feel it. I, I understand it. Anyways. Uh, so what are we on now? Week five of uh, oh. dipping rig. It doesn't uh, matter. Yeah, I don't know. We're not going to number these because I can barely keep track of the number of the episode. <laughs> and it's getting to a point when I'm listing everything on like the the, the audio podcast uh-huh. on Apple. It says, what season is this? And I'm like, well, it's the second year, but it's not been a year yet. So right. is it still season one? So I don't know. But it uh, doesn't yeah. Matter. It doesn't matter. Anyways, this is um, dip your rig. Dip, dip your rig. Dip my rig. Whatever. Dip, We're, dip your rig. Dip your rig. Uh, so... This is a weekly segment for us, if you are new to the pod, where our patrons send in pictures and descriptions of their rigs, and uh, we pick one each week to break down on the show and uh, talk about. Talk about the good stuff, talk about some stuff we would try and uh, maybe improve on. So, Zach, what do we got this week? So, this is from Dan. My font on my screen is so small. Dan uh, Sicarello? I'm not, I'm not entirely yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm bad with names. Uh, I'm bad with most things. But let me drop this image. Uh, in the upload, Discord. In the Discord chat. Uh, so Dan sent a picture of his rig. And the email says, uh, Dip my rig. Guitars. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a 93 Made in Japan Strat. The electronics and pickups have been replaced by bootstrap pickups, um, which I'm not familiar familiar with. Uh, he says it, it feels great. He's got a Reverend, uh, looks like the Pete Anderson mm-hmm. or the East the East Sider, the one that's like a Telly, but not the Greg Cock one. Right. Um, the Super and Telly. It, yeah, uh, and it has bootstrap pickups as well, and a four way switch for parallel and series switching, and also has a Eastman like a 335 cell thing. And he wants some recommendations on pickups for that, which will be a good thing to talk about. Yep. Uh, and then effects-wise, he's got a couple little boards. One just has a tuner, a uh, Love Tone Amp 11. Uh, looks like a Matthews Effects uh, Architect or something or another, a Dispatch Master, and then a larger board with uh, a small... It doesn't have all the pedals listed, and one of them is... I can't tell what it is, but there's a... Ernie Ball volume pedal, some sort of small mover pedal, mm-hmm. uh, a modded TS9, a light speed, a flint, uh, the the newer Boss delay. That's the, the DD, not the 500, but that's the 
list your pedals, people, in the emails, <laughs> so we, we don't have to sit here and try and like, what is that? Yeah, remember. yeah. And then the uh, HX Stomp looks like it has a little remote switch, mm-hmm. and uh, and then he's got a Princeton Reverb reissue, and I mean, this is like, I mean, I think I feel like this is a rig that could be useful for anybody, and anybody could have a rig like this. This is pretty like. It's a, I mean, and I'm not saying that as a, as a burn, it's like very accessible and, and there's a lot of great stuff here. And this is, this is truly about. one rig to rule them all. In my opinion, <laughs> I, I really love this because you've covered all of the bases. I mean, literally all the bases just, just by having the HX stomp in there. I mean, that alone can get you, you know, it can be a standalone rig. It can be an amp in a box. It can be an effects processor to use with the Princeton. I mean, that's that's I think like sort of the cornerstone of this rig guitar wise. Let's talk about that Squire. Um, sure. So for, for those of you that might not know, and you might hear Squire and think, Oh, okay. It's a cheap, you know, budget thing. The eighties to early nineties MIJ made in Japan Squire guitars. Um, oftentimes the E serial numbers. So the serial numbers would have started with an E those guitars are ringers, especially for the money. The The quality of those Jap- Japanese squires uh, were on par and equivalent to the American vendors of the time. Um, and if you can find one, they're not cheap. They're not like modern squire prices. I mean, they're no. more like used fender prices, but they're so good, man. They're so good. They, they I mean, some of those squires are now exceeding what like a used Mexican Fender would be. Yeah. Um, just because of the MIJ, it's different. You know, there's MIJ. Uh, they were also made in Japan. And MIJ stands for made in Japan, which is a little thing usually on the on the heel of the neck. Right. Um, and Fender made Japan's, like there were Fender made, made in Japan strats and, and all guitars. But then later they went to crafted in Japan. And now even those are crazy, but arguably they're not as nice as the made in Japan stuff. But yeah, fantastic guitars. Um, and really what he's done by hot rodding the pickups and whatnot is going to put it on par with, uh, I mean, pretty much anything in that in right. that ballpark. Until you're getting into some sort of nitro finished mm-hmm. guitar. I mean, strat- I, I don't know about you, but I feel like strats are kind of strats or strats and, you know, even like great ones and 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 inexpensive ones can all kind of f- find an even ground because if you if you set them up right and put the right pickups in them they just they sound like strats you know yeah you can really the the strat world i think you can really get a lot of bang for your buck out of those guitars because i right i think you're right for the most part you know a strat is a strat is a strat until you get to things like you know good nitro finishes like a light nitro finish on the body yeah. a lightweight, you know, maybe swamp ash, um, or alder body, things like that, where you're kind of getting into the custom shop level. Um, but anything from sort of the Mexican strat through to the American standard there, that, that sort of, it's like a spectrum and they all sort of blend together. Also, I want to point out on this guitar. One thing that I love on black strats is the mint green guard. Yeah. It, yeah. it really makes those guitars look right. Um, and it's specifically with strats, you know, his Reverend Telly there is black and it's got the stark white guard on it. And that looks great. But to me, a black strat with the stark white guard on it, it could be a custom shop, $4,000, you 
strat, but if it's black with a stark white guard on it, it looks like a Squire student model guitar for me. So I love the mint green guard on that. Yeah, there is something about it. And I mean, like, you know, uh, vintage, all, all like original strats when they came out of the factory, like vintage ones were white. They were white, white, white. And just they changed color depending on the material that was used in the guard. Some of them turned green. Yep. Different materials turned more of a parchment, almost a brown, like a tan color. Right. Um, but but yeah, it's a great looking combination. Um, those Reverend uh, East, I think it's an East Sider is the is the model name. Those are mm-hmm. great guitars. Um, you know, definitely yep. just Maple uh, Neck Telly straight telly. ahead does the thing. It's got the. Uh, sort of the mid '90s modern Tele bridge on it with the individual saddles, which is nice because yeah. vint- a lot of vintage Tellys you can't intonate properly unless you have like, um, like our Solaces have the uh, that True Tone bridge on them, right? Uh, yeah. which are compensated saddles. But from a strictly playability and practicality standpoint, having the individual stra- saddles for each string is great. And then the Eastman, okay, I'm a big fan of Eastman guitars um i have no relationship with them but my my good friend noah has owned several of them and dude i think for the money they are really really killer they're they're chinese made but as far as i understand it it's not like made in china it's a luthier instrument company they do other instruments as well not just guitars and stuff but they're just a chinese-based instrument company that make really really good stuff for the money yeah yeah and they do a great job you know i i've heard people argue that eastman's are as good as gibson i i wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that no um i would i wouldn't say that uh they do feel nice they do play very well and and for the most part they sound good i think a lot of the um the ones that are more like less poly yeah looking either come with duncan's or some other high quality pickup but he was asking about pickups for this thing Mm mm-hmm so, you know, what, where would you go? Well, so here's the thing, like Eastman, I would put like in between it's, it's a step above an Epiphone or an equivalent model thing. And it's Absolutely. below a Gibson USA. So it's yeah. like right in that mid tier. So if you're, if you're in that ballpark and you don't want to buy a Gibson, but you want to step up from something like an Epiphone, things like that, check out an Eastman. I think they're really good. As far as pickups go, the world's your oyster here, man. If it were me, I would go vintage paf and i would put something good in that guitar um he said he said anything under 300 so for the set i mean that yeah but that's that's a there's a lot of options there's a lot of options under 300 there yeah um let's see i think can you get a set of lawler imperials for under 300 maybe used maybe i'm not entirely sure um let me see uh, it, here. The thing about Lawlers, like you rarely find them used because right. um like people don't sell them, which is good sign. Know, that's a good thing. Yeah, but um it looks like Imperials are 175 a piece. Okay, so you're right over 300 there. Yeah. Oh no, here's here's a set of Imperial Lawler nickels, 2017 models on reverb for 216. Okay. So and they're the polished nickel, which is looks like what you've got in that guitar. So it would it would sort of match there. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, here's another one. Those are 350 on reverb. That's a little rich. Well, actually those are those, the metal on that is probably chrome. You'd have to check and see because there is a distinct difference between the color of chrome and nickel. Right. Um, but yeah, you, 
you know, like with humbuckers, there's there's so many options. But with that guitar, you really want to do your research because you only want to put them in once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> because there's no back plate. Um, you it's either have to pain in the ass. Yeah, you either have to go through the f hole near the the control, uh, and, and even to put them in. Uh, you got to take all the pots out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you either pull them out through the F hole or you take them out through the humbucker hole. Which, and, you know, that might be a good thing of while you're in there, swap the pots out. Redo all of it. Yeah, just just put some higher quality wiring in there. That's what we did with my 335 about a year and a half ago. Uh, I just took it over to Righteous and Ben, just redid all the wiring. I put the Echo Park Goldie PAFs in there, which are great. I think they're over the $300 price bracket. Um, yeah. But and then we just put all new pots and he rewired the whole thing, cleaned it up. That's great. Let's it, move on to these uh, these pedal boards here. So sure, interesting setup with the dual board situation. He said uh, the mini board is for like dive bar and outdoor gigs, so great. he doesn't have to worry about it as much. Mm-hmm. Yep, um, standard. I mean, straight ahead does the thing. You know, would would cover the ground. The big board, I really love this now. You've got you've got all your bases covered with that looks like a modded tube screamer, right? What yeah, is that it's, it's a Fromel mod, so he does kits and stuff. Cool, Lightspeed, obviously my favorite, one of my favorite overdrives of all time, and then the HX Stomp with the Flint Killer, and it looks like he might have the Flint or something in the effects loop, of the Stomp, which is cool, and then the uh, the Princeton Reverb. I mean, you can't go wrong. Great gigging amp loud enough to to work in you know small rooms and then you throw a mic in front of it send it through the pa sounds great takes pedals well it's pretty much bulletproof doesn't weigh anything throw it in the back of your car killer the the one thing i would consider here um if i was going to suggest any changes on the main board first of all that volume pedal Mm. i have had so he's got an ernie ball vp jr volume pedal with the string i have literally gone through probably seven or eight of those volume pedals over the year. They break the strings, the pots go bad. They're just not a great design. No. Um, there's, there's a guy in Nashville who I'm struggling to remember his name. Uh, I believe it's the through tone PM one. Yeah. You know that guy. Uh, I, I, I've met him. Uh, but I can't remember his name. <laughs> I can't remember his name. But, I met him too. But it's through it's through tone. You can look him up. Yeah. So um, I, I've owned a through tone PM1. I still have it. I bought it from him a few years ago after breaking my like eighth or ninth whatever it was VP Junior. So what he does is he takes VP Juniors, he guts them, he puts his own buffer circuit in there because those are notorious. The unmodded ones are notorious for tone suck and high end loss. He replaces the cable, or sorry, the string with a, a higher quality string, and he switches the pot out to a sealed pot, which is a big, big upgrade for those. Yeah. Uh, yeah the reason that. being because they come with open pots, because you're stepping on it all the time, they get dirty real easily, and then your volume pedal gets crackly and, and gross. And it's so it's just it's just a bent aluminum shell, so it's there's no protection. You yeah. know, a wah at least has something, mm-hmm. but that's just completely open to the air. Yeah. Yeah, I, volume pedals are weird, man. I feel like I feel like nobody out there really has nailed the volume pedal thing yet. I've had Dunlops, I've had VP Juniors, I've had um, like a bunch of them, and the the Mission Engineering ones they all break. At least everyone I've had breaks, and yeah. I I've never owned a volume pedal. I've never found a need for it. Um, 
but that's just me. And I know a lot of people incorporate it into their playing and dude, working at Carter, we, we would repair the Ernie ball, Mm -hmm. uh, volume pedals and they came in all the time and i was yeah. just like why are you continuing to buy this thing well because like, they have a really good throw like i think they're they right. have the sweet spot of having the best throw so something like the mission engineering engineering ones that are basically just a wah pedal they don't have a long enough throw so when you're doing things like right. a volume swell or something it's hard to modulate that or the way i use my volume pedals is put them before my overdrives to act as the volume knob on my guitar. And so I want to be able to like modulate that. Interestingly though, on my new board, which we'll talk about in a second, going no volume pedal. Um, the Dunlop ones are better, but they just don't last. The, the, the pot mechanism in them wears out super easy. It's like, it's a completely different thing. It's got like resist on like a little roller thing. And mm -hmm. it's, um, very different. It's very, very different. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But for me, like these two pedal boards, like I used to gig with like three or four pedals. So like him having like the mini board, like that's like, I'm set. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't really find any fault with these boards. The only thing that I would change apart from the pickups and the, the Eastman is those Princeton's are notoriously bassy. Mm. Um, they have way more bass than, than, the amp can handle. Right. Um, and I think that's true in the originals. Uh, and I think it's really true on the reissues. It's worse. It's exacerbated by the speaker and stuff. So I would change the speaker and, you know, he's got the Fromel mod tube screamer. You can buy mod kits for these, these blackface reissue amps and then take them to a tech and let, you know, if you're comfortable doing it, uh, feel free to work on it. But if you don't know how to work on an amp, you can kill yourself. Yeah. At your own so risk. <laughs> don't, do it for legal reasons. Um, uh, Dipped in Tone podcast does not recommend that you work on your own amp. No, no, you you can like you can die. Yeah. Uh, so, but get a kit, take it to a tech. They can install it, and um, it's it's pretty incredible what minor changes can do with with one of those amps. I yeah. have the the deluxe, and I love it. I modded it myself. So you can take those things and really take them to the next level with just a handful of parts and minimal investment. Absolutely. Uh, Chris in the, in the discord saying, look at the pedal steel guys are using for volume pedals. They ride their volume continuously. Yes. So the good rich volume pedal is what's widely used in the pedal steel community. And those are great. The downside is for guitar players, they're massive. Like if you've never yeah. seen a good rich volume pedal, it's huge and it would not fit on this board. They also weigh a ton. And so yeah. for, if you're flying and traveling a lot, they're just not a practical solution. So um, anybody who's listening out there that, that runs a pedal company, that's not Zach at mythos. Cause he has enough on his plate. Somebody <laughs> design a good, reliable volume pedal for guitar players. Uh, I know there's a couple out there that, um, I'm forgetting one. That's like an all metal one with us. I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, somebody make a good volume pedal that works, please. Yeah. I, I think, I, I think it could be done. Uh, I think honestly though, having it as some sort of active thing would make it much more, uh, like if, even if it was just in a wash shell, you could have a better throw and control the taper better. Cause the taper, it's all about that taper. All about that feel. taper. Hey, Hey man. <laughs> hey man. That's what they always I, say. I'm going to get one of them sealed PEC pots put in there with that long hey, throw on it. That's what that, that's what my daddy always used. You know, he always said, you know, it's all about that taper. Man. man shit. <laughs> all right. Look, I give this rig nine out of 10 shoils. I think, uh, 
you've replaced the volume pedal with something a little bit better and and possibly the mods that that uh, Zach is recommending for your prints in there and you're going to be off to the races. Yeah, I I wouldn't give it that high. I mean, not that it's bad. It's to, it's great. Like if 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 you had to show up to a gig and someone was like, "This is what you got," you'd be set. You'd be happy. Hey, nine um, out of ten soils is high praise. Okay, so that's very high praise. Yeah. I would give it probably like for me personally, uh, like as it sits with no mods, just like showing up. I would probably get like a seven and a half, but that's still good. Like yep. you know, that's still good. No, that's, you know, that's, it's, that's damn good. That's a, that's a passing grade, and you know, I mean, you're D means diploma, so. <laughs> You're obviously more of a snob than I am because, you know. I absolutely am. You're shitting on the guy's rig because. Well, I'm not, not shitting on it. Modding is Princeton or whatever, but that's fine. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyways. All right. Well, that's fun. So, um, yeah, that was uh, Dip Your Rig. You've been dipped. Do we have that merch out yet? No, okay. but I, I'll work on it. Okay. We have some merch coming for this segment. Um, so on to today's topic. Speaking of pedal boards and rigs. Uh, I'm having a new pedal board built right now. It was actually finished um, earlier this week by my friend Mason at Vertex Effects. He mm-hmm. built my first pedal board about two years ago, two and a half years ago. I flew out to Oakland um, and we worked together for three days and we put together this this pedal board that has been a total workhorse for me. Um, but 2020 being what it was and you know, all the live shows and everything going away, I decided that I wanted to build a new board that would allow me to work in the studio easier by swapping pedals in and out much more quickly and easily. Um, so anyway, there will be a video coming on that on my main channel, probably in the next two weeks or so, but it brought up this discussion of pedal board building in 2021. You and I have been putting pedal boards together for what, 10 years or more. Oh, uh, 20 years. Okay. So between the the two of us, 30 years of pedal board building experience. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I was thinking about this. It's like, I've had probably 10 different pedal board iterations. And if I can find them all, I'll, I'll send them to uh, Milton so we can like cut them up and put them in the video or something. But man, and they've all changed, man. It, the The way you put a board together today is very different than it was ten years ago when I started messing around with boards. What was your first pedal board like, Zach? My okay. Well, my first, I my first big pedal was like one of those. I, we got to find a picture of it. One of those Digitech RP, uh, like multi effects that yeah. had like the blue plastic. There was like blue and silver plastic and had a wah built on it. But my first real pedal board was a um it was one of those powered skbs right uh that was like you know kind of round and had the little uh like eight outlets or something on the top and um i used that thing for ever right and i had a crybaby wah mm-hmm. i had a ibanez smashbox and i had that digitech thing on it and that was my pedal that was my first real pedal board and I used that uh, I, for a little while when I was like 15, you know, right. Or 16. And then, uh, you know, honestly, it's all gets kind of blurry. I remember like more after I start after I got out of high school and started like playing in bands and stuff, kind of what my pedal board evolved into. But my first one was that, what was yours? Mine was while I was at music school. Um, I, 
there was a, a classmate of mine that was selling the Boss plastic clamshell pedal board that would hold like six Boss pedals, and it had the little <laughs> patch bay, and you'd like plug it up. It had the foam inserts, and it was made to only fit Boss pedals. And I didn't own any Boss pedals, but I like bought it and showed up to my first paid gigs with this thing, where I would take my box of rock that wasn't velcroed down it was just floating around inside the foam and i fit my box of rock in there and then i had the boss me 70 multi-effect that i stuck in there too right (laughs) Uh, what how'd you even close the lid i didn't i just like kind of i would show up to my first gigs like (laughs) holding it like a tray like a platter and walking in and just like set it down on the floor and i got some some bad looks from the people that hired me for my first gigs. Um, <laughs> I think I told that story. Like the first like paid gig I had was at this mega church. And I showed up with that rig and sat on the floor and the MD that booked me, pulled me aside after rehearsal and was like, Hey, you need to buy a delay pedal before Sunday or else we're going to have to find somebody else. <laughs> That's so lame. I know. So lame though. So, uh, uh, anyways, that was my first board. It did not last very long. Um, but it brings up this interesting discussion. I feel like rig building nowadays, there's more options than there ever has been in terms of pedal boards and power supplies and patch cables and all this stuff. Yeah. And you can make it as expensive as you want it to be, or you can make it as budget friendly as you want it to be. Um, but I think there are some things to talk about for people that might be getting into building their first pedal board. And they might be new to this who are coming into this now versus 10 years ago because there's so many options out there, it can be a little bit overwhelming and in, in trying to figure out what do I need? What kind of power supply should I get? What size board do I need? What, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's a, it's a treacherous minefield of uh, decision-making. Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of decisions that you need to make before you start investing because I mean, that's what it is like at this point. I mean, when you and I were starting, it's like there, I mean, Voodoo Lab pedal power was around, but that was kind of, that was, was kind of it. Yeah, that was you your know? one and, power supply, you know. And and you either had like you know an SKB or maybe Gator was making pedal boards, or you yeah. like had a stolen like street sign that you like velcroed <laughs> pedals to, yeah. you know. Or or buying a cutting board from like Target or something. And using <laughs> yeah, that, you're, right. The IKEA pedal board. Yeah, exactly. Which is still a really cool thing. I love seeing that people building pedal boards out of like IKEA shelves and stuff. That's sure. Super cool. So, yeah, I think there's a few really important things to to consider when you're building a pedal board. First of all, have have your design and your end goal somewhat in mind before you even start, okay? So maybe you have a handful of pedals and you know, you you're on a board now, but you think you want to add a couple things, but you're out of power, you're out of space in your board, you know, all that kind of stuff. So you need to upgrade your size, or maybe you're starting from scratch and you, you don't know where to go. So the first thing is, in my opinion, figure out your goals. Is it going to be a pretty simple board? Maybe one or two overdrives, maybe a reverb and a delay, you know, if three or four pedals overall, and you're going to just primarily use the stuff you like, and you're not really planning on expanding in the future. You just want to have, you know, one place to house your couple of pedals, keep them powered, keep them tied down easy to move around all that kind of stuff. Or are you planning on going big and you want to have modeling amps and you want to have, you know, like a stomp or the quad cortex and you want to have 
all these pedals and stuff. I think it's really important to figure that out first. Right. I, I would also like to that end say, what kind of player are you when it comes to mixing things up? Are you going to commit to what you're going to throw on this board? You know, that can determine what type of pedal board you're actually going to buy. Um, or is this going to be, you know, something that you just want to lock in and you're going to have it the same for, for ages, you know, that's really going to be the, the determining factor. I think the most important thing that you can, can get starting out is a power supply mm. and something that will do what you need. And then some, because like, it's the least fun thing to buy, you right. know, next to a tuner, like buying a power supply is no fun. It's boring. They're ugly. You know, it's not a thing that is like, it's not like buying an overdrive or a delay pedal, but Arguably, it's the most important part yes. of your pedal board. Exactly. And we should talk about why. And we should talk about some of the options that are out there now. Because you're right. Before, it was you could get the, the Pedal Power 2 Plus, or you could get like a one-spot wall wart thing. Yeah. The daisy exactly. chain. Yeah, yep. exactly. So now there's a lot of more a lot more options out there. Strymon makes power supplies. Chalks. Voodoo Labs is still in the game. One Spot, which is now True Tone. Um, so... The things that you should look for in a power supply, regardless of your pedal board size and regardless of the use case, is it going to be something that lives in your home studio primarily, or are you going to be gigging with it, touring with it, all that kind of stuff? Really important things to look for. First of all, isolated outlets for a few reasons. Zach, you can get more in depth on the technical side of this because I'm not an electrician, but yeah, isolated outlets. Oh, Go. okay. <laughs> I, thought, I thought you were going to say something else. Uh, so basically, you can think of an isolated power supply as having a bunch of individual wall wards where every plug that you're plugging into the individual pedals is its own power supply. When you're using something that is not isolated, you're essentially running a daisy chain. And what can happen there is you're sharing grounds and that can introduce noise that can cause uh when i say noise i don't just mean hum i'm talking clicking sounds you can hear the clock from a delay you can have a multitude of problems and uh you're sharing power you're divvying up all those milliamps between your pedals and you can easily run out but when you have isolated you know that if you have your strymon over here and all that everything can be powered appropriately and be basically its own, like it's just, it just has its own power supply that mm -hmm. doesn't bother anything else. Right. And, and to, to add on to that, some pedals, like an analog, just typical overdrive, take a sc tube screamer, for example, some pedals are fine with sharing power. Um, yeah. So if you have a, I'm a big fan of the one spot, like the true tone power supplies. I have a CS12 on my, my main touring board right now. I think they're great. Um, so, you want to look at the potential power supply that you're looking at buying and figure out how, how many milliamps um, that's current, right? Milliamps is current. Right. Yeah. Okay. So how much current will each outlet put out? Because most of them now is like, you know, it'll put out 500 milliamps, which is, you know, half of an amp. And so if you have a, and then you want to look at the current draw of your pedals. So a, you know, a tube screamer, for example, takes what a hundred milliamps of oh. power. Not even, maybe 
I don't know, 30 or something. Right. So you can then in that situation, if you have a couple of work of uh, analog overdrives on your board, you can in most cases be fine with sharing a power outlet where you have to be careful, especially nowadays with the proliferation of digital effects like Strymons and essentially where you have a computer on your board. Those are very, very sensitive to bad power. Um, and they need the right amount of power. And so you want to be able to, you want to make sure you're buying a power supply if you have a timeline on your board or you have an HX stomp on your board, which is notoriously difficult to power. Um, you want to make sure that your power supply can output the, the current needed for those pedals in a clean, isolated way. And then there's the question of how many outlets do you need? You know, if, right. if you're buying a power supply for a board you're going to grow into, buy something bigger than um you know than you currently have and you can grow into it right so like what would be the next step i guess just finding the board itself i mean board like itself th- yeah this is a little rudimentary like as far as like building a board in 2021 but there's a lot of people that started playing guitar last year mm-hmm. and are getting into this or you know I, I mean there's a lot of people that don't have pedal boards i knew touring guys that like they they would they would tour the country with like big country acts and just show up with like a duffel bag, which is totally cool. Totally. Yeah. Fine. Uh, not the most reliable thing. Um, no. <laughs> but yeah, so different types of boards are important now and like power supplies and everything else. There's more options out there now than ever. The main things to look for are going to be flat boards versus like a raised angled board or a multi-tiered board. I think those are kind of the main um, categories now. Sure. Flat boards are the most simple. And you can make a flat board out of anything. Cutting board, you can buy one from, you know, a lot of road case manufacturers will make flat boards that are really nice, have handles on them and everything. The advantage of a flat board is that everything is on one surface. Your power supply, the pedals, the cabling, everything is, is one. It's right there on top. It's easy to see. It's easy to get to if you need it. The disadvantages are, you have less space available because you have your power supply sitting on the surface with the other pedals and you have your power cables and your signal cables sitting on the same plane, same surface. And that is something to be careful of. Whenever you're building your board, you should never run a patch cable, a signal cable and a power cable next to each other parallel because that can introduce noise into your signal. You should always try and have them cross at a 90 degree perpendicular angle. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that is a good rule to follow. I don't think it's make or break. Uh, and I mean, like I would, I would, I think it's more important with high current draw things and, and digital things. I don't, I don't think with fuzz, if you're running a bunch of like overdrives, mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to have a big, problem if you're just shoving stuff underneath i mean on, on a flat board you kind of have to be very meticulous in how you route stuff yeah um but um like if you're just getting into this chances are you don't want to take the flat board like, right they're they're more first. tedious they're more difficult to put together you have to think more you have to plan ahead more sometimes you're, you're going to want to raise certain pedals up with like some kind of riser and you have more cable management things to think about it's not the most beginner friendly route no. um and i think the paddle the the power supply or the power cable and signal cable thing is just better it's just good practice to practice right like you're right with a with a low current draw pedal you're probably not going to run into any issues but signal cables guitar cables are not balanced 
right? Like an XLR cable is balanced, which means it's canceling noise through the length of the cable. A guitar cable, a quarter inch cable is not balanced, which means it can pick up interference along the length of the cable. Right. Well, um, that goes to the kind of the, the next end is that you should buy nice cables because they're shielded. Yes. And that helps with oh, we'll, we'll e- everything. Cables. Yeah. We'll yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the next, the, the next power uh, pedal board that I would consider would be the angled board. So think about your typical pedal train. Mm-hmm. Um, Mono makes some really good ones now that I really like. The advantage of the, the angled board is that you can separate your power supply and your pedals in two different places. You, you mount the power supply underneath the board. You run all of your power cables underneath the board and they come up right each to individual pedals. Um, so it's a much cleaner um, situation. You're, you have the separation of the power and signal cables, which is good. And you have all of the surface available for pedals, which means you can possibly get away with a smaller board. Yes. And in my opinion, it's a little easier to use that sort of board to, uh, if you want to change something, you can change it, especially with a pedal train. If you go the, you know, just slap, you know, the, uh, loop Velcro on, on the pedal train, which is what I do. Like I, I having like a board, like what you're getting would stress me out because I, I would look at it and be like, I don't like that pedal this week. And the pedal I want to put there won't fit. <laughs> so well, we planned ahead for that, but I'll, we'll talk about. Okay. That. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the the angled boards I think are the best place to start for beginners. Um, yeah. There's plenty of sizes available. There's plenty of used ones out there now. There's so many like used pedal train stuff floating around. You can pick them up. They make cases for them if you're planning on traveling with your board. Uh, soft cases, hard cases. There's all kinds of options for that. Um, and there's a lot of standard sizes out there now. So, yeah. Um, and then the third type is the type that my new board is, which is sort of a hybrid of the two. It's a flat board that is multi-tiered. Now this is, I think a relatively new thing in the pedal board industry. The board that I'm using is a vertex board. It is a board that, um, Mason and the guys at vertex are having manufactured. I forget who's building them. It's some company in southern california yeah they it might be the same people that are doing their enclosures or something i think it is his enclosure guy actually yeah but it's essentially a sheet metal board that's bent and folded and it has a riser that is hinged so the advantage of that is the riser and the pedals that you have on the riser the second tier you can hinge and open up and underneath that riser is where on my new board we have the power supply housed we have the pedal board interface and everything housed that mason built which is massive on this board (laughs) Um, and then you can close it up and you have a nice clean pedal board. That's, you know, easy to hit pedals on easy to, to, you know, move around and change stuff on. Those are a new thing. And I think like the angled board, they can be a good option for a beginner. Um, but there's less options out there right now. I think vertex is making them. He has a couple of different sizes. Um, I don't know. Chat, let us know if there's anybody else that makes those. I've seen a few advertised on Instagram, but nobody like nobody I was really familiar with, you know. Right. Um, and I, I like that that idea of having a, a dedicated space. I mean, you could put the power supply anywhere, yeah. But having that sort of space where you can kind of hide it, mm-hmm. because <clears throat> I don't know about you, but when I have uh, when I use a pedal train, I hate seeing the power supply <laughs> underneath the board. <laughs> so, so I just cover it with gaff tape right? because I, I, it just bothers me. 
So especially if it's like a Strymon power supply where it's bright blue and it's just kind of shining up through your board. Yeah. I I have the true tone power supplies, which I I think they're fantastic. I love that some of them are auto switching. So if Mm -hmm. you go abroad, they just take, yeah, that's great. That is great. But they have bright yellow print all over the top of it. And I, yeah, I just gaff tape all of them now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, that's, that's my new board. It's my first board like that with the hinged tier. So we're going to see how it works out long-term. I'll report back in a couple months and see how I like it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just, just think ahead, do your research, plan ahead. I, I think the use case is really important to think about. How are you going to use this board? Are you going to be gigging with it and traveling with it? Are you going to be flying at all? Because that comes into account. If you're going to be flying, the board and everything in the case need to be under 50 pounds or else you're going to get charged out the ass for overage fees um, with with airline companies. Ask me how I know. <laughs> and if you are going to be traveling, you want to make sure that you can you can find a good case that's going to fit your board to protect your investment. Because if you have a good mid-sized board that's full, you have a couple thousand dollars worth of gear in that one thing oh, that yeah. – can easily be damaged in transit. And so, yeah. You know, um, pro tip that I've overheard many times being in Nashville, Harbor Freight, you mm-hmm. know, who make all the really cheap tools, they actually have like their own fake Pelican cases. Yeah, Apache cases. I have a couple of them. Yeah, and you can get those for cheap. And if you have a really small board, I guess, you know, you could use something like that. The Apache case thing is interesting. I have, I have, um, I, I have a thing for, cases so i have a bunch of pelican cases i have a couple of apache <laughs> cases and the apache cases are nice they're not near they're not as nice as the pelicans but the reality is for what what you're going to be using the case for you don't right. necessarily need the pelican now if i was like touring the sahara desert like <laughs> i would probably go with a pelican over the apache but right and then the other the big difference I- is the foam the the pelican foam is way better than the Apache case foam. So pro tip, you can buy the Apache case from Harbor Freight and then go on Amazon because they're the same sizes as the equivalent Pelican cases. And you can buy replacement Pelican foam, like the pick and pluck foam for the Apache case and just throw it in there. It's great. Perfect. Yeah. Pro tips all around. Pro tips all around. All right, let's talk about cables. Let's talk about patch cables. Uh, we got to do this again? Uh, again. We won't spend too much time on it. We've talked about <laughs> it enough. Um, solderless versus soldered. We're both fans of soldered cables. Yeah. Uh, I mean, especially if if you're going to do this yourself, um, unless you're prepared to be... Uh, 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 unless you're I- incredibly patient... And are okay with getting really mad at yourself for doing something wrong, making a cable. And that's, that's, you know, that could be said for soldering your own as well. Right. But like, just learn how to solder. If you're going to take the time to learn how to make a cable, learn how to solder it Mm -hmm. or just buy them pre-made for you. Soldered. Yep. Just, Just do it. They're just, they're just better. Now, look, I understand that there are solderless cables out there that are good. I know people always talk about the evidence, audio cables and, and all that stuff. Totally, totally great. I get it. Uh, but in my experience, soldered cables are more reliable and last longer than any solderless cable kit that I've had. And I've had several. So 
I agree. Go with solderless patch cables. And what you can do if you're new to this, um, you can buy some that are pre-made. You know, get, just get some some bulk pre-made um, soldered patch cables on Amazon or something that are in v- different lengths. You want to have different lengths available so you can be moving pedals around and, and you have patch cables to fit. Then once you kind of get your pedal board dialed in to where you know, okay, this is my layout. This is what I like. This is comfortable. Then you could go through and make your patch cables custom to length to kind of clean up the cabling. Yeah. yeah the, the beauty of having like a pedal train or any of those boards where you can route underneath is that if it's too long, you can hide it. Yeah. Um, if you're doing any sort of flat pedal board, then you've got to kind of lock it in. And, and, and to me, that's the, one of the things about not having the, uh, the room to fit a pedal. It may not necessarily be that there's not physical space for the pedal itself, but if your cable needs to be this long and it's only this long, right. then you're not going to be able to plug it in. And you have to make a new one or have like, yep. you know, you could have one of those like studio racks, all the cables and yep. have like four inch, five inch, six inch, yep. seven inch. I just bought one of those for my modular rig. I ordered, I spent like a hundred dollars on modular patch cables and got the little thing. So I have them all organized by length. I'm so excited about it. Are they color coded? Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Of course. (laughs) Sweet. Um, One other thing to talk about now that's changed since we started building pedal boards, how you attach the board to the pedals to the board. Oh, back in the day, it was all Velcro, man. You know, you go to Home Depot, you get some of that, that 3M Velcro and you'd stick it. And, and there was sort of like this universally understood thing of like fuzzy side goes on the board, sticky side, uh, hook side goes on the pedals, right? So yeah. just we as, as guitar players, we all agreed, right? So that when you would sell someone a pedal, they didn't have to swap the Velcro around. Nowadays, though, there's a product that is better than Velcro and it is dual lock. Better, it's different. I will fight you on this. It is better than Velcro <laughs> in every way. Um, we should explain what dual lock is. It's it it looks like Velcro, but it is a plastic sort of hook and loop thing that is way stronger than Velcro. It it it's basically two hook sides that can connect to each other. Yeah. Uh, but there, there's, there's many different types of dual lock. There's not, I mean, like, cause I have some dual lock that you can easily pull apart and there's dual lock that you, you cannot pull apart easily. Right. But well, it's, you it's, go it's, ahead and, and, and so here's state with, your case. All right. So here's the deal with dual lock. It comes in what's called different densities. Okay. Right. And so densities just refers to literally how many hooks are there on a given length of, of dual lock. Okay. So you can have high density and low density. If you want, to attach your board, your pedals to your board and have them never come off. <laughs> you use two different densities of dual lock. Now, Mason from vertex on his YouTube channel has done some videos about talking about this where apparently he's actually done like measurements to see how much force it takes to pull <laughs> off a pedal. <laughs> so if you're going to be traveling a lot, specifically flying, I think it's better to get your pedals adhered to the board as securely as possible because TSA will do everything in their power to rip your pedal board apart when you're flying. Again, ask me how I know. Now, again, we did this with the, the two levels of dual lock and they still destroyed my pedal board going to London last year was a nightmare. But um, what I recommend, like 
you can you can get it from Home Depot. It comes in a pack, and it's just two of the same density of dual lock, and that doesn't have the same amount of holding force as the mixed density does. And so it's easier to pull the pedals off by hand. So Right. Well, okay. So I agree with you. If you're gonna gig, if you're gonna fly, if you're gonna fly, if you're gonna, if you're gonna tour, right, go with the dual lock. But for your average player, there are there are different there's not all Velcro is created equal as well. Right. Um I, I've bought Velcro that was like you could stick it on the back of a pedal and then a week later just rip it right off and the adhesive didn't do anything. And then I've bought some that will hold forever. Um for me personally, I've always gone with the Velcro because it's easier to it's easier to swap things. Because with dual lock, unless you lined a whole pedal board with dual lock and had pedals that fit on those lines, you kind of like take the dual lock, you stick it to the pedal, then you stick another piece of dual lock to that, and then you remove the adhesive and you stick it down where it needs to go. And you're kind of locked again to that that placement. Um, I did this on a NAM board and I, I locked everything down with dual lock. I shipped it, I got it back. And when I was trying to swap it after I made new pedals... It was just a nightmare. And so I was like, you know what? And I put Velcro back on it and I put all my pedals on it, flipped it upside down and went, and it didn't fall off. So I was like, you know what? I'm I'm just going to stick with Velcro. For okay. Me. Okay. Here's the deal. That's an easy fix. I just did this on a pedal train nano board this week. Just take and run a whole strip of dual lock across the board like you would a piece of Velcro. But it's ugly. It's, it's better looking than Velcro, I think. You can it's- vacuum Velcro. Yeah, you can you can vacuum dual lock too. The other reason the other reason dual lock is better is because of the adhesive. Every type of Velcro that I've used, if you if you leave it on the pedal for too long, that adhesive, especially if it's traveling, it gets hot, gets cold, and and everything. That adhesive like liquefies and seeps out from underneath the Velcro, and it makes a mess. And then so when you try and pull the Velcro off, you have to like get adhesive remover and clean the back of the pedal. It's a it's a nightmare. The adhesive on the dual lock is that like foam-based kind of adhesive that they use, that like the 3M makes it, and it's way cleaner. When you do have to pull it off of your pedal, it doesn't leave residue, it doesn't leave a mess, and it comes off way cleaner than the Velcro does. Some of it does. Now I've I've seen dual. I, I've experienced this myself at Carter. The dual lock that that is just an adhesive on the back of the plastic. Mm-hmm. And and the that, clear dual lock. You mean like the the? No, I've I've seen black that had just like like. I mean, I have some in the. I've been using it on my Proton pack to put things in the inside using dual lock, which is pretty funny. But um, just had like an adhesive, you know, layer. And there were a few times at Carter where we would get a pedal in that had like, you know, a huge thing of dual lock on just right in the middle of a pedal, a used pedal. And we're like, we got to get this off. And we've like ripped the paint off. <laughs> well, yeah. So that's what dude. just I the 3M branded because there's different companies that make dual lock. Right. It's like an open, I guess. I don't know if it's open source or whatever. But to me, the 3M is like the best kind and you can buy it in bulk. There's a website that I buy mine from called itapestore.com. Not sponsored. <laughs> Terrible name for a company. But itapestore, mm. you can buy it by the foot way cheaper than you'd get it at like Home Depot or whatever. The other reason that I like dual lock better than Velcro is Velcro, when your pedals are Velcroed to the board, they still move a little bit. 
And so when you're yeah. stepping on a pedal, it's it's moving. Maybe just, you know, a sixteenth of an inch or something like that. But move faster. <laughs> but what happens is over time, your cables, your patch cables that are attached to the pedals, when they're moving like that, it is working the joints, the solder joints or the solderless joints in those cables, and it eventually will cause a failure in your cable. Right. The dual lock does not move. The pedals do not move at all. They are locked down. And so when you step on them, you stomp on them, or in transit, they're not wobbling around. They're not moving. It's far superior. Use dual lock on your board. I've won this argument. Next subject. <laughs> well, I I just think if you're if you're a bedroom guitarist, I, you know, and your cables have a little slack in them, I don't think that you necessarily have to go through that torment. That's of true. Like put, putting dual locks on stuff. But I, I will agree that if you're a touring a gigging musician and this is like this is this is your job that's the best way to do it but um can we just agree on one thing though what's that those little pedal jumpers that are a cable end with a little shaft and another cable terrible never ever 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 use those they will break your pedals yeah never ever use those they're terrible they look good i used to have them when i was first starting out i was like oh this is great you just plug your pedal into your pedal yeah, it will break your pedal. Don't do the that. Ten- the tension is just, it's bad news. So um, That uh, CS Guitars on YouTube, Colin, um, on, uh, his, his channel is CS Guitars on YouTube. He made a video about that last year. It was really good. He goes into depth explaining why those are the worst things ever. So <laughs> check him out. Um, now that we've talked for 20 minutes about Vel- Velcro, um, there's, uh, yeah, I think... The, the last thing to cover now that is way more prevalent with pedal board building than it was 10 years ago, loop switchers. When I was starting out, they weren't really a thing. Now there's a bunch of them out there and it is, it is important to think about like, should you get one? Should you not get one? What are the pros and cons? Uh, see, this could be its own episode. I think in the age of, Every pedal was buffered or true bypass was not a thing. I mean, it was, but no one knew about it. Like everyone makes the joke with Jimi Hendrix's pedals weren't true bypass. Well, his fuzz face was, (laughs) Um, but like for me, from an audio signal path standpoint, it is better to have that because you basically have to think of, I mean, every cable is a cable and you're adding capacitance throughout your whole rig. So using a loop switcher shortens that, that distance, but you know, you're not going to have the total signal degradation that you would even when we started playing guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it comes down to like, how are you going to use this pedal board? Do you right. need things to be turned on together? Um, otherwise, if you have a small board and, you know, let's say you have five or six pedals, I don't think it's wholly necessary to have a loop switcher if like your your music or, you know, your gig at the moment doesn't require tap dancing. Um it, it, it's a luxury that is great if you need it, but not necessary in mm-hmm. my opinion. Right. So there's a few reasons why you would want to have a, a loop switcher. One is to shorten the cable run between your guitar and your amplifier. Yeah. Ideally you want to have as little cable in between those two elements as possible. And when you have a board, even a medium sized board with all the patch cables and everything that is, that is, or can um, depending on buffers and things like that, that can cause signal loss and degradation. So one advantage is, you know, if I'm playing 
and I have all my pedals on a, let's just say for right now, a passive loop switcher, which is just like a bank of buttons where each button has a pedal on that specific loop. And I just click on an overdrive. Well, at that point now, essentially my pedal board doesn't exist. The only thing that exists in terms of capacitance between my guitar and amp is my one pedal, right? So there, there's an advantage there. The other advantage is in a, a context for troubleshooting. If you have a pedal that goes down or a, a patch cable that goes down on a gig, well, yeah. your, your pedal board still works. You just turn that loop off and you've isolated that bad cable and you, you can still play. Um, the third advantage is it keeps you from tap dancing, right? So yeah. if you do are in a situation where you're, you're turning pe multiple pedals on and off throughout the course of a song, um, if you have something like a boss ES five, or you have the gig rig G three or something where you can save presets, which is like a digital loop switcher, which allows you to say, okay, I want, you know, this song has three sounds in it. My intro sound, my verse sound, and my solo sound. My intro sound is just these two pedals. My solo sound is these three pedals. My verse sound is just this one pedal. It allows you to hit one button and change all of those sounds instantly, which is yeah. why with the board that I had built a couple years ago with Mason, we went with that option because the, the ethos, the use case behind that board was this is going to be my touring rig and I need to be able to replicate these sounds every single night and the music that I'm playing requires me to instantly completely change my tones on the fly. Like in yeah. literally in one beat between a verse and a chorus, I need to go from a phaser reverby slapback delay, lo-fi kind of sound to a single fuzz by itself instantly because that's what's on the record. That switcher allows me to do that. Right. Disadvantages yeah. are they can be expensive, they can be complicated, they can add complexity to your rig that you don't need if you're not using that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've I've never um I've never owned I, well, I made a true bypass looper thing once, just like just, just sell to say I say I did it, you know. Right. Um and it's you know, it's those are simple, but you know, the only one I've ever had any uh like FaceTime with is the gig rig one when I was with Dan. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's, it's super neat and convenient. And, you know, like, let's say you had a pedal that's just not necessarily broken or have bad cables, just like is noisy, right? you know, like a fuzz pedal that like, it sounds wicked when you're playing it, but then the moment you like, I don't like, it just sounds like shit. And when you're not playing it, like <laughs> those things happen, right. you know, or if you have a vintage pedal, it, like, you know, looping in things that aren't true bypass that you want to retain that, you know, that signal. Um, like, it's great for that. I mean, obviously, that goes back to the first thing you said. But um, I, I I see a lot of people that have, you know, small switchers. And I don't necessarily understand why if if things aren't a detriment to, to something else in the chain. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, if you have four or five pedals, I, like, I would not consider that tap dancing. You know, you're not in the Mars Volta you're playing, you know, simple songs probably. Right. So you can ma manage, you know, one, two, three, you know, we've all been there, but you know, what, where the advantage I think truly lies is cleaning up a crappy signal path or doing what you said and having, you know, the, the multitudes of things switched on and off. And, and that's something that you really have to go with like a gig rig or the boss or something that is programmable. Right. 
because you could have a true bypass looper that has a couple pedals in the loop, but then you're locked into that. Yeah. But the beauty of the gig rig is that you can say, when I hit this button, these things turn on. Yeah, it's for for a touring player, like it, specifically for Jesse's gig for me, I, I had, you know, her entire set list saved yeah. in order with each song and they were all named. And so because that, that gig in particular, it was so... Um, precise with the sounds that I was getting. And I had three Strymons on my board and I had two different fuzzes that I needed to use at different points in songs. And I had, you know, different tempos and different delays, different reverbs. And, you know, I need to start song with a phaser and then it needs to turn the phaser off and turn a, a delay on and a spring reverb. Off. Like, so literally you, just need a, you needed a tech just to exactly. do that for you. Well, but the thing is that boss switcher was my tech. I, right, I spent right. the time ahead of time dialing in the sounds so that during the show, I didn't have to think about anything. I just knew I literally would hit the buttons in sequence. I'd go like, okay, start the song. Bam, 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 bam. Okay, bank up next song. Bam, 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 bam. And just knock it out. And it was great. And it I could replicate it. It was the same every single night. Nothing changed. You know, tempos didn't change. Sounds didn't change. It was fantastic. But for, for what I'm doing now in the studio, I don't need that. Like right. I, I, and so I, with this new board, we decided to not do any kind of switcher because it's just not needed. You need one of those Bluetooth, uh, like controllers for your live stream where you can be like playing <laughs> something and go like, boo, thanks for the super chat. Thanks for the super. It's like if anybody plays a helix or something, it's basically, it gives you the ability to use snapshots, but with an analog pedal board and amp kind right. of thing. Yeah, that's it. So, well, I think we've about covered it, you know, basics <laughs> we, of building a pedal board from 2021. We've talked for a while about it. Is that, we, that covers it. If that covers it. I mean, we could, we could <laughs> expand on this in future episodes. Let us know in the comments if there's any element of this you guys want us to go deeper on. Yeah. And keep, um, in the beginning, we got, we got a lot of emails about content suggestions. So please email us. I like show ideas and anything, but in, in the comment section, let us know what your pedal board goals for. 2021 are because um, I, I want to make one again. I need to have a pedal board because I have a couple pedal boards, but they're just like, there's one leaning on my wall. Like you can kind of see it right there mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, and there's nothing on it. So, right. yeah. Are we going to do a shill of the week this week? I have something uh, if you have something, but you go ahead and I'll figure something out. <laughs> well, okay. Well, the, the thing I have, I don't actually have it in my hand. So I was just going to talk about it and we'll put a picture up whenever I say what it is, which is right now. I, <laughs> I was, I was going through the, the, the dip your rig emails and I saw someone talking about uh, treble bleeds. Okay. I detest treble bleeds on volume pots. What mm. I recommend is upgrading your pots. What, to explain a treble bleed for those that might not be in the loop. A treble bleed is a resistor and cap that you put usually on the third and second lug of your volume potentiometer that when you roll uh, your volume back, it doesn't, uh, it retains the highs. It doesn't kind of add the base that sometimes a volume pot can do. Um, or it comes sometimes a volume pot can act kind of like a tone pot and it takes that away. So it really retains the highs, but in, in doing that, you kind of lose the low end thwack that you get the whack, you know, uh, when you're rolling your volume back. So what I always tell people is don't do that Buy better pots. And the pots that I use 
are the RS Guitar Works Super Pots. They're sold by RS, RS Guitar Works in Kentucky. Uh, I've been buying potentiometers from them for years. They have a very specific taper. Their tolerances are really low. And the values of the pots are actually a little bit higher so that instead of 500K in a humbucker guitar, you get a 550. And what I always do, and if you guys, if anyone out there works on your own guitars, if you change pickups, if you change electronics, if you do anything, buy a digital multimeter. Mm. It's a really simple tool. And you can measure your potentiometers so that you can kind of voice, you can match it to the pickup position. So in my Les Paul and, um, and the guitars like that, I always put a higher value potentiometer in the neck position, which lets a little bit more high end through. And then in the bridge position, I put a slightly lower value so it's not as pokey. And uh, these pots, I, I've played a lot of pots that claim to be replica of vintage, you know, Central Labs, what Gibson used to use and whatnot. These are not that. These just, every turn is audible. There's not a jump. It's just, you know, if you turn it to nine, it sounds like you turn to nine. If you turn it to five, you're on five. And it's really smooth. They're my favorite pots. And just get that. They're cheap. They're like eight bucks. There you go. So. There it is. I'm going to do a self-shill this week. Uh, I'm going to shill for my podcast, Backstage Journal Podcast, which is uh, coming back for season three this week. Um, oh, we can do that? Yeah. <laughs> we can do whatever we want. We can do whatever we want, Zach. This is our show, damn it. Oh, um, listen, man, I didn't start a damn YouTube show so I could be told what to do. <laughs> I'm just here to sell myself. I'm, I'm here to shill myself. <laughs> just like the good Lord intended. Hey, hey, uh, yeah. Backstage journal podcast season three, uh, starting off with Tosin Abasi as our guest oh. this week as my guest. And, um, yeah, I'm really excited about this season. Basically it's the show is shifting slightly to be really, really focused on um, the guests that I have each week. And I've got some really cool people lined up this uh, season. So check that out. I guess we'll have it linked down below. It's also going to exist on YouTube on my second channel, Retshell Studio, as well as all the usual places that podcasts are downloaded. So That's awesome. I met Tosin once at Carter, and uh, I saw him playing just like a telly, and he was just like playing like, like bluesy riffs or something. And I was like, I walked by and I heard the riffs. I was like, oh, that guy's really good. And I looked in. I was like, that's Tosin Abasi. Dude, it's like this is not what I expected. He was the he, nicest guy. Yeah, he. We had a conversation that was, uh, it was. It was actually my first time like talking to him when I interviewed him for the show. But incredibly nice guy, really, really cool, down to earth guy, and hopefully the first of many things that I'll be able to do with him um, in the in the near future. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a really fun conversation that we had. So uh, check it out. It'll be out I think on Thursday. So. Okay. I don't even know. I just know it's Friday. So whatever day. Well, so I'm talking <laughs> whatever. about this. This episode goes out on Tuesday. So in my, two days my from... show will be on Thursday. So, okay. You got there that you go. internet. There I, you go. There you go. Internet. Don't forget Figure it. Figure it out. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for hanging out. This was episode 21 of the backstage. No shit of the, <laughs> uh, what is this? The dipped in tone podcast. Dipped in tone. <laughs> I've been dipped. 
You guys are great. Don't forget to subscribe, join a Patreon, buy a t-shirt, uh, and tag us in Instagram when you guys are, um, when you get your merch. That's, we yes. love seeing that stuff. Yeah, so. tag, tag, uh, at Rhett Scholl or at Mythos Pedals, because if you tag the Dipped in Tone, uh, I'd never log into it. <laughs> None of us go over there, so don't tag that, because <laughs> we don't see it. Uh, we need to change that, probably, but. Eh. No. All right. All right, you guys are great. Thanks so much. See y'all next week. Bye.